Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Hi there and welcome to episode three of the Hooked On podcast. We are so happy to be back with you again. This is me, Rob McNichol, and as always, my co-host is with me, Paul Benson. Paul, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, Rob. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing very well indeed. And now, if uh, those of you that have been listening to the Hooked On podcast since its inception, which is, quite frankly, only a couple of weeks ago, um, hopefully you'll have got to know me and Paul quite well now. We said that we were going to do a couple of sort of 45 to 60 minute podcasts and of course both of them have gone two hours because we can't shut up so we think we you've probably heard just enough about about uh, just about enough of us two for a little while so we thought it's high time to get the guests in so i said to paul go out and find me a guest carte blanche go and get someone and so paul is your guest i'm very familiar with them too of course but he's your guest let's introduce him because we are not having rubbish guests on this podcast we're only having top quality ones paul take it away yeah, absolutely. We went and got the creme de la creme. Um, this is a guy I've known of since 2001. Um, as in my opinion, one of the very best wrestling writers out there on the internet. And known him personally probably 10 years now when, uh, you know, when we first started interacting. Finally got to meet this year at WrestleMania. Um, he's TGR Wrestling um, and the comeback's John Canton. How you doing, John? I'm good, boys. It's it's good to be on with you, and I, I hope it's a good show today. Yeah, we were very glad to have you on, John. And it's um, I, we what we've been trying to do here so far on the uh, on the Hooked On podcast is get deep into the Royal Rumble. So I hope you're uh, ready to be steeped in Royal Rumble history with some modern stuff and uh, and everything around that fantastic pay per view. We've been saying yeah, how it's I've, one of it's I've one re- of. Sorry, I, I just want to say like I reviewed every Royal Rumble, like the the actual match. So there, it's all locked in my head. I couldn't tell you family member birthdays, but I can remember Royal Rumble stuff. So <laughs> you then you are even more perfect than we realised. Booking you on this, um, we've been talking about in the first couple of podcasts how. I think secretly that WrestleMania is supposed to be the big one. But when you speak to fans, I think everyone secretly prefers the Royal Rumble, maybe even not so secretly. Are you in that camp? Is it your favorite pay-per-view? It was, but it hasn't been a very good show for the last, I don't know, five, six years. Like, it's hard to be surprised anymore. Like, people, um, you know, like, are we supposed to get that excited about Bubba Ray Dudley as a surprise two years ago? You know, like, I don't know. It was cool, I guess. It was 10 years or something, but like the AJ Styles thing last year was really good. But in the end, who did they put over a 47 year old Triple H? So, you know, it's not like they're exactly building for the future um, in that sense. So um, I liked it more like in the early 90s when we were kids and stuff. And it was it was cool. But, you know, like the, the, the good thing is um, there's 30 people in the match. So you, you could tell different stories. You could have guys get eliminated, come back in the ring. Like Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, that moment in 2005 was amazing. Mm-hmm. Brock Lesnar, Goldberg, the year before that. Like, there's a lot of things. Um, the Shawn Michaels Undertaker ending in 2007. You know, there's, there's certain ways you can book the match and have historical moments and stuff. 
And then we've seen the surprises like John Cena and Edge when, when they won, they weren't announced for the match. So, like, as far as a booking perspective, like, and you guys are like me, like, we're hardcore fans. It's like, could you imagine booking that whole match? You could have so much fun doing things. But um, I'm not as, I don't know, it's not my favorite thing anymore. Like, people tend to complain about it more than enjoy it anymore. I think that's a very fair point. I think the, um, it was the Daniel Bryan factor, wasn't it, for two years running, and the fact that he wasn't in it was the uh, was the factor. I remember over here we um, uh, we have a betting company called Paddy Power that started doing betting on wrestling about oh I know about it yeah four or five <laughs> years ago, and a couple of years ago Daniel Bryan was the favourite for the Royal Rumble, a very short odds. Um, he was never announced for it. He never set foot in it. Uh, and never it was talked the, about it. Yeah. it never once and because that's the assumption on in wrestling is that uh, if we keep something quiet then it's going to go the other way but uh, everyone assumed wrong and in the end uh, the fans in attendance uh, poor old Ray Mysterio the... got all the heat for it and uh, that's just the way it went but um yeah I think it's a very fair point um when you say about the modern ones but let's uh, pick out a couple of rumbles for us what would be your favorite one two maybe three Royal Rumble events we're talking about the whole event not necessarily just the match itself well, I don't remember the other matches from 92, but 92 is the best uh, book rumble. Uh, in terms of star power, I think there's something like 17 Hall of Famers, and, and we're talking like legit Hall of Famers, not the Coco Beware types, for example. <laughs> um, I mean, like in terms of all-time greats, I think Coco Beware might have been 92, but um, the storyline for 92 was the, the title was up for grabs. So that was the first time ever. Um, Ric Flair was pretty new in the company, and I was, how old were you guys? Like I was like 11 at the time, so... Um, it was a big thing to see Ric Flair there because I didn't really see that much WCW at that point in my life. So to see Ric Flair there and I heard about him and saw him in the magazines and all this kind of stuff, it was like I was rooting for him just because he was fresh and new and everything. And I was sick of Hogan by that point in my life. And so he's in there at number three and Bobby Heenan's on commentary like, it's not fair to Flair to be number three. And every guy that goes in the match goes after Flair. Like it was an amazing story. And Flair like nearly gets eliminated like 10, 15 times. And then... He ends up, uh, you know, winning at the end. He dumps Sid out because Hulk Hogan's grabbing his arm. And I'm just like, it was such a well-booked night. And Bobby Heenan on commentary was amazing. I got to meet Bobby Heenan a couple years ago. And he's not in great health. But I remember saying to him about that match. And he was, like, smiling. And his wife was told me, he's like, everyone talks about the Royal Rumble 92. Because his commentary was legendary in that match. And, and just a performance by Flair. Just such a well-booked match. Macho Man and Jake Roberts are so much star power in that match. Um, that's the one that stands out the most. And then after that, I would say like 2001, the Steve Austin story. Um, he has this really good stare down with the rock in there. He's bloody and everything. It was an amazing match. Um, Drew Carey had an appearance. He made the Hall of Fame because of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then 2007, which I mentioned earlier, like the Shawn Michaels Undertaker thing. What was it, like 10 minutes at the end of the match? He kind of set up their WrestleMania match two years later. So those three are my favorite. In, in our first, po- first podcast that we did here on uh, Hooked On Podcast, we certainly mentioned the first couple that, uh, that you mentioned. I think 92 is very much a, a staple okay. for wrestling fans, and there's a, yeah. a few other ones that often come up. I actually thought, Paul, just after we finished that podcast about the Shawn Michaels Undertaker one, and I forgot, you know, we, 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 neg- we neglected to mention it, but it is an absolute cracker, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it is that finishing sequence that really makes it. It was a great match all the way through, but it's that 10 minutes that John says that, that we all remember. And I was I'm as guilty of neglecting that as, as anyone. And I, I think it's because it comes in that period between about 2003 and about 2008-9, when it just seemed that interest levels across the board just dipped. Everything felt quite samey. And I really struggled to pick. I, I, like John says about you know remembering his relatives' birthdays, I can pick pay-per-view matches out from 
from 91, 92, 93, no problem at all. You yeah. ask me something around 2005, 2006, I'm going to really struggle. And I think that, that rumble suffers from being in that kind of dead zone for me because it was a tremendous match. I think sometimes there's an, there's an issue about growing up about that. I think when you're eight or nine, there's not a lot of important things going on in your life. Yeah, when, you're, that's true. when you're in your early 20s and you're starting to go to work, then uh, true, true. Re- wrestling sort of starts to uh, go down the list a little bit. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talking uh, positivity. And while we're on um, old rumbles that we really liked, Paul, I sent you a text. I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before. And I said, I have just watched the 2002 Royal Rumble. Because Paul often says to me about that one. And I can never sort of place it. And so I sat Triple down H. and watched it pro- yeah. properly all the way through. Goodness me, what a good Rumble match. It's not just got a really brilliant ending with so many potential winners at the time, you know, that could have actually feasibly won the match. As you say, Triple H ended up uh, being victorious and would go on to win the title at WrestleMania. But before that, the, the standard of the, uh, the entrance earlier on in terms of quality of the workers is just absolutely outstanding so solid without being full of stars there's almost no duds anywhere through that match yeah that that one i remember too because austin was still still going and um the rock wasn't in that match so i don't think right no i don't think so you might have been in a title match okay um but yeah it was uh that period 2000 2001 2002 the the roster was probably at its strength i think 2003 also was a really good one with brock lesnar and stuff so the, that period was really strong. The early 90s, like the 92 one probably is the most like legit, you know, best wrestlers ever. But I think 2001 and 2002 are, are really strong shows too. Um, so, yeah, there's a few of them. And uh, like you were saying, Paul, like the mid-2000s is definitely like that. Because the 2005, I think people remember the Batista, John Cena ending and kind of they screwed it up and everything. It was supposed to be Batista winning. Yeah. Um, I've talked to Jimmy Corderas multiple times. He was one of the refs involved with that. And he said um, they were just giving him things in his, t- told him in his ear. They told, they were like, Jimmy, you raised Cena's hand. And they told like Charles Robinson or one of the other refs to raise um, uh, Batista's hand. And then they're like, Vince is coming out or whatever. And that's when Vince tore his quad muscle. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a famous ending, but it wasn't supposed to be that way. It is one of the um, most noteworthy bits, isn't it? That bit where Vince comes out and just tears it up. But it's, I think it's one of the beauties sometimes of when the, the nature of wrestling, we just talked about the fact that Daniel Bryan was favourite for a rumble he was never entered in. We were always expecting the unexpected. I watched that whole thing, and apart from the fact that Vince clearly got hurt and fell, you know, fell on his backside in the corner, I just assumed they'd booked the same finish because as 94 when they did it with Lex and Brett, which actually they did a lot better. But um, yeah. I, I just assumed, I, for years I just assumed that was how they uh, had decided to do it. What it does say is fair play to to Jimmy and Charles, the refs there, but also to to John and, and Dave Batista and everyone else that that got everything done because they fooled me anyway. Yeah, they made it look like it was it was the plan. But I remember there was another one in like um, like ninety seven or ninety eight, and Vince was on commentary, and he's like, it wouldn't be ninety eight because he was a character by then, but he was on commentary like one of the years after ninety four, and he said something like, oh, there's never going to be a tie in a Royal Rumble again or whatever, and it was like a total shoot comment because he's booking it obviously, so I don't think he liked that he booked a tie in ninety four. So yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think that was ninety five. I remember that comment. I think yeah, because he said yeah. only one man can win the Royal Rumble, and King goes, oh, last year two won. Yeah, that's never going to happen again. <laughs> that's so, what it was. Yeah, it was the next year, right? He's, uh, he's managed to get through that um, a little bit. Um, so where would you say would be the um, uh, – what's the, it's the first one that's in your mind? I mean, it might not be the other first one you saw, but is 92 the one that sticks out, or can you remember the ones before it? When can you remember getting into the Rumble? I remember him being mad that Hulk Hogan won. <laughs> I wanted Mr. Perfect <laughs> to win. 
Um, and it's like I was a smart fan before I was smart, I think, because I was cheering for Mr. Perfect and DiBiase and those guys all the time. I, I was a Macho Man guy. Um, so when Macho Man kind of won the title the first time, that's one of my first memories. I was about seven or something, um, seven or eight. And so I, I remember Mr. Perfect and rooting him on and like Hogan won and Hogan was already the champion or something. Um, so I can't remember if it was 89 or 90. I remember watching one of those. Um, one of my older cousins, my, I, I'm the youngest of like 14 first cousins. Um, so my oldest cousins are the ones that got me into wrestling, got me to like my favorite sports teams. Uh, Paul knows the Los Angeles Rams, who are terrible usually. Um, they're <laughs> my dire team. My oldest cousin got me a jersey when I was a kid, so that's my team. Um, other than that, I like the Toronto teams. But um, So we would watch the Royal Rumbles together, and I just remember marking out for them and, and having fun. And they're still fun, but you know, I think one of the points I wanted to bring up to you guys and ask you guys this is um, – do you think the brand split hurts it? Because if you look at that period, like Paul said, after 2003 or so, you kind of forget the winners. Um, as Rob said, you know, our lives are busier as we get older, but it's also because the winners don't matter. Like, if you remember the one in 2012, everyone was like, Chris Jericho's going to win because he's going to face CM Punk. And they end up putting Sheamus over it. And then people are mad about it. And I'm like, Jericho ended up in a title match anyway, so what's the difference? <laughs> um in 2007, which I mentioned earlier, Shawn Michaels lost to Undertaker, but who was in the last match at WrestleMania? Shawn Michaels. So it's like, what's the point of winning it? Does it really matter anymore? Careful. Okay, I'll take this one. Yeah, I I fully agree in a nutshell. And I think it definitely, with with a couple of exceptions, takes away from the whole mystique of the match. Now, we, we touched on 2005 earlier. And that Willy won't he, Willy go with Triple H, Willy go with JBL for Batista, was an absolutely key part of that story. So there it really worked. But it has always diluted the match down very slightly for me. Because you know that it's, it's not the main event at WrestleMania necessarily that they're going for. It's a main event. You, know, you remember when Del Rio won, and if I'm right in thinking he was in the opening match at WrestleMania, is that right? Yeah, 2011, yeah. Yeah, and uh, for, as far as I'm concerned, you know, this this brand split is still very new. I'm, I'm not going to sort of hold them for mistakes or issues in the past, um, and things might be com- completely different in how they plan it and book it now, so I'm, I'm remaining open-minded. But yeah, definitely, it definitely took something away from it for me. I would argue that it's the, the brand split and having two titles are two different things in the sense that there was a while where they essentially gave up on the brand split. People were on all sorts of um, brands, but there was still, you know, a WWE type champion and a, and a world champion as in the big gold belt. And I think that became a problem because of the, uh, we all knew really that the WWE title was the most important one. And um, now it, when it's on Raw and SmackDown, I think that gives you a different dynamic because you, I don't, I don't know whether they'll go after the thing of, you know, if a Raw guy wins, he's got to go after the Raw world title and, and so forth. I don't know if they've mentioned that yet. I've not noticed it. No. Um, but I I like, I like fall somewhere between the two stools here. I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying in terms of the taking away the mystique. But at the same time, we have managed to have conversations, you know, I'm sure privately and indeed on this podcast, where we've come up with a lot of possible winners. We'll get on later in the show, John, to uh, pick in your brains as to who you think might be a, a couple of candidates for winning this year. But I think we, um, we've we thought a lot about different people that could win. And because there are four, let's say, possible champions at this stage, we're thinking about who the champions are going to be after the Royal Rumble. Um, there have been years, um, I seem to recall, when, um, when Rock beat CM Punk in a title match. 
it was fairly clear that John Cena was going to win the Royal Rumble because they were obviously going to go to Cena versus Rock. So that sort of thing, I think, really harms it when you, it's an obvious one person. This year, going into the Rumble, assuming it's on last, there'll be two world champions. And so it might still offer the... So if, say, Owens is the world champion on one side and AJ is the champion on the other one, you start to work out who their most likely opponents are. So it gives you some other, um, some other choices in that match. But um, I think part of the problem, perhaps, has been when they've gone to the Royal Rumble like it's the King of the Ring, as in, we'll use this to promote someone. So Sheamus, Del Rio, people like that, Roman Reigns to an extent, they've decided we're going to go with this as being a stepping stone. And actually, although people might complain about, you know, Super Cena winning all the time, actually big wrestlers, Austin, Rock, Cena, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, winning Royal Rumbles and going on to WrestleMania for title matches, to me, makes those title matches feel more important. I think that's possibly where some of the issue has been. This year, I'm a lot more hopeful, but maybe my hopes will be dashed. We'll see. Yeah, for sure. You make a good point. Like That's the point of the Rumble. Right? you got to elevate someone and make them go from like a mid-carder or upper mid-carder to the to next level, right? So um, another name you didn't mention there... Like you mentioned some of the great ones, but Batista, like I think of that 2005 story because if you think of what he was doing at the end of 2004, he was just kind of working with Triple H, Randy Orton was in the face. They did a great storyline about Batista kind of figuring out that Triple H and Ric Flair were treating him like a dumbass or whatever. So Batista wins and he ends up doing the thumbs down thing and challenges Triple H to the title. He was elevated because of our Rumble win, right? So Totally. You could definitely use it to elevate people and stuff. When Cena won in 2008, he was already at three three years of a main eventer, but he came back as a surprise and it was, it was the right choice to put him over and stuff. Um, some years it's kind of boring. Like Randy Orton in 2009, he was already a top guy. So you really have to, we didn't really need more Triple H versus Randy Orton matches at that point, but um, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. So yeah, um, that's why I think this year there's a chance that somebody new can win the Royal Rumble. And we could talk about that now or later up to you guys. Well, I think, I think it's what it builds to. I, I fully, I'm fully with you on the, uh, Batista win back then. I think the I still think that the Batista, um, his first rise out yeah. of Evolution, winning the Rumble, you know, wrestling Taker, tur- you know, Triple H to turning on him, all of those kind of things that um, uh, that happened with Batista, um, I think were were brilliantly told. It was a really wonderful story. But the, the WWE had us wanting it. I think that's the point. Is that I think someone like let's say AJ was in the Rumble. I know he's not. But he would be a perfect candidate to win this year to me because they've made us want him. You know, he's only been around a short amount of time and it would feel so good. And, and the same with Daniel Bryan a couple of years ago. I think that the, the Sheamus and Del Rio ones, which I pick out, it's almost like they went, uh, we need a guy. Uh, that one. It didn't feel like they'd got Sheamus to that point or got Del Rio to that point. But they could do it with a few now. There are a few that are sort of creeping up those ranks. Like, a, for example, I don't think he's going to win. It's out of left field. But like a Cesaro. You know, someone that the fans have always wanted to do well and has never, he's never quite got there. If they suddenly went, do you know what, even if it's only for three then I think that they could possibly do it with him. But, you know, I, I, generally speaking, I think it's all about the right person at the right time. If Paul wants to chime in first, and then I will, or what do you think? You go, John. Okay, yeah. Um, I think Cesaro would be a great pick, but the sad thing is they're probably going to do him and Sheamus will break up and have another match at WrestleMania kind of thing. Um, 
if I could pick someone, it would probably be Sami Zayn as far as someone who Good example. could really elevate. But I don't think they see him as a main eventer at this point. No, um, I, don't so. I don't think so. But yeah, that, I'm, a biased, I'm a biased Canadian, I admit. But I, I think his connection with the crowd is very, very strong. He reminds me of Dana Bryan in a lot of ways. He's not as tiny as Dana Bryan, but he's the underdog. He's such a good seller. Like, in the ring, he's probably second to AJ Styles in the ring. And Cesaro's up there, too. But in terms of guys that can have great matches, like look at Zayn versus Nakamura. Last year was my match of the year, and that was our first match together. Um, and it's like, and then Zayn versus Owens, and Zayn, you know, every match he has is very good. So um, you're right, like Cesaro, Zayn, those kind of guys are the guys that they should elevate, but I don't think it's going to be one of them. Paul? Yep, you see, I, I, I would love to say that you could get a guy that would be elevated by the Rumble. It's a really fine line about how you do it, though, because I remember, like like you touched on, they tried to do this thing before, and people want surprise winners, but we're, we don't want them to surprise. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't we don't want them too out of left field, because otherwise we're like, eh, okay, whatever. To me, there's a sweet spot, and like AJ would be right in it if he was in the, the match. Cesaro, of course, would go down fantastically well. Um, Finn Balor, if he was around... I, I would like to see this year someone that, you know, and I'm talking purely from my own point of view here, someone that might not necessarily be just being built as a star, but maybe someone that needed that little bit of rehabilitation, maybe someone that's had the shine knocked off them a little bit this year. Seth Rollins, for me, would be an ideal candidate because he's had all, he's, he's got all the tools, he's had all the push, but he just feels like he's gone slightly off the boil. But you stick him in that rumble with a good showing and boom, straight away, you got him as a big star again, WrestleMania season. It is an interesting one. I think to try and put a bow on the, this particular uh, part of the topic, I can think of two examples, one where it was too soon for someone and the second where it was just right. And I'd say the first one where it was too soon was Shawn Michaels and the one where it was just right was Shawn Michaels. Yeah. <laughs> I think when he won in 95, admittedly, if you go and look at the... Uh, the roster was terrible. The roster yeah. and the 30 men in that one, it is bleak. When you start yeah. looking through that one, there was really no one else that could have won that, apart from maybe Bulldog and Luger, and that was all. That was pretty much it. Um, that was a bleak one. And, but Michaels wasn't quite ready either. Michaels wasn't in the, uh, in the same category as a Bret Hart or an Undertaker or anyone else at that time. But by the following year, when he'd had his title match against Diesel, impressed, turned babyface had the, uh, the knockout thing with them, with Owen, come back after injury. Those people were so ready for Sean, and that was completely about Sean Michaels in 96, as it should have been, and it was. And then, of course, he went on and won his title match. So I think that was a perfect example of what you're calling there, Paul, the sweet spot. People are after people that can win their first title match, that can just be, you know, just brought in at the right time and just click. And so uh, we it remains to be seen whether... That will happen this year. Um, I want to give it. I want to give an example. Sorry, quickly go, about um, two, two, two of them that are booked well. Uh, I mean, one that's booked well and one that's booked terribly. Two years apart. The one that was booked well was Steve Austin in '97 because mm-hmm. um, it fit his character as kind of a. He was he was gaining momentum. The Survivor Series '96 match with Bret Hart was amazing. He's in there and he's kicking ass, and then he, he's he's you know staring at his imaginary watch, and Bret Hart's music hit. And he has this stunned look on his face. It's one of my favorite reactions ever. Um, and then him and Brett go at it, and the crowd starts picks it, picking up. And then he gets eliminated, but the refs didn't see it because Mankind was brawling outside the ring, I think with Terry Funk. Um, and then Austin goes back and eliminates guys, and then it sets up the final four. Like, I thought the storyline was amazing because Agreed. it fit his character. It screwed Bret Hart, who's, who ended up turning heel uh, two months later at WrestleMania, and their match is arguably the best match in WWE history. Um, so that storyline was amazing, and that's why you used the Rumble to tell the storyline. 
And then two years later, the the, the match with uh, 98, 99, sorry, um, Vince and, and Austin, I thought it was terrible because they both spent 90% of the match outside the ring. Um, Austin takes a beating in the bathroom. Vince is on commentary and all this kind of stuff. And then it ends up being them too. Like that was one of the worst ones. So it's an example using the realm of a good story and a bad story. But then again, 99 was when their TV ratings were the highest ever. So you okay. know, people liked it. <laughs> this is another conversation. We'll, we'll have this properly another day. But uh, another conversation that Paul and I have had over recent months. Where I've, been, I've been going through the network sort of raw by raw, pay-per-view by pay-per-view from time to time over the last several months. And I'm, I think, midway through 1999 now. And I'm not as impressed as I thought I would be. So, like, thinking back, the, show, the quality of show is not as good as I thought it was. But actually, the quality of character, i.e., um, Steve Austin and Vince and Rock and Undertaker and Kane and Foley and whoever else is so good that carried everything through. I think if you picked up a uh, an exact raw from then and put it in today's raw, well obviously make it two hours and just exchange all the characters, I don't think it would work as well. I think you'd say it's not as good as raw is these days. But at that time it was just so uh, so timely and so perfect. So that's probably why they went more down that um, Steve and Vince route. Uh, in that particular rumble and before we get into that we'll, we'll get into I'm going to ask you next John to help prepare your thoughts about uh, who you think is going to win this year's rumble and why in terms of storyline and whatever but before we do that um, I'd ever like to sort of bury people's plugs at the, at the back end of a podcast just in case people have uh, drifted away so why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into um, wrestling writing and what you're up to these days because you've been very prolific for a great number of years and I know how tricky that can be so uh, tell us a little bit about what you're up to yeah, I feel old. Um, <laughs> um, I started like back in like 98, 99-ish, so I was like in high school still. Um, that was when the internet was starting to really boom. You guys probably remember like the late 90s, so I was like a teenager and you guys were probably around the same age. And it's like, you know, I remember jumping on the internet after Survivor Series 97 after Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and I'm like, what What happened? What happened? I had a friend in school that was like, he's like, oh, I read about it on the, you know, on the internet and all this kind of stuff. I, you know, started reading more and more. And I was always a good English student. Like, I'd get A's all the time, or we use numbers here, so 90s or whatever. Um, and, and I just kind of got into it, and it just, like, there was newsletters were popular at the time, and then I ended up going to right on websites like big three news board was a big one and then the oratory which is how i met paul was this wrestling community part of the big three news board uh there was a big forum there and that's probably how i met paul like originally like 2001 like he said or something um and i kind of stopped posting there the last five years but he's still around and a lot of those guys are still around now they're you know talking about their kids all day and stuff so <laughs> um it's true. back then we were in our 20s or whatever and we were doing nothing except posting on the internet and chatting with people so um, um but yeah so it's kind of evolved so throughout the 2000s it was kind of on and off like you know as life goes you're in college you're doing different jobs and stuff there's certain periods where i didn't really do it um, so, like, 2009, I was frustrated with the job. I just kind of quit it, um, made decent amount of money. And I was like, you know what? I was writing at Raja.com. You guys probably know it. It's yep. been around 20-something years. It's, it gets, like, 2 million views a month, um, like, maybe more than that. Like, it's huge. Um, most of the, the wrestlers I've interacted with over the years found me on Raja.com. Like, they're like, oh, I read your stuff and run. I'm like, really? People still read? They haven't changed the design of that site ever. And it is actually a guy named Raja, and he lives in Calgary, Alberta. So there you go. Um, <laughs> he actually has a real job, too, but he probably makes good money off the site. 
but so I was writing there and, and around 2009, that's when Facebook and Twitter were really starting to grow, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm a business marketing grad. So the marketing ha- in my head is like, okay, I have this website that I write on Raja.com that I, it's popular. And then I'm like, I could start Twitter and Facebook and be like, try to interact with people. It's all customer service in a lot of ways, right? You interact with people, they ask you a question, they comment, you, you reply to them, then they tell a friend, this guy's a good writer, you know, I'll check him out or whatever. So it just kind of grown. And so 2009, I started a blog and then it kind of grew. And then it went, became TG, the John report.net. Then we came TJRwrestling.com. Now it's TJRwrestling.net. I kind of got screwed up over um, with different people over the years in terms of providers and stuff, but you learn your lessons and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Rob, I believe you worked at, you wrote for JBL's website too, at the same time as I did. I did briefly. Yeah. I didn't, um, uh, I wasn't all that prolific on there, but I, I knew, I knew John kind of um, from having interviewed. It was one of those strange ones where I interviewed him and just kind of stayed in contact. And then so yeah. um, I don't know if it was before or after the Layfield report started. Um, they were over here for a, a, a taping. Um, JBL and Cole were doing their um, – I think they were doing two shows at the time. They were doing one which was like a YouTube show and one which was an audio podcast one. Show, and yeah. um, I just I, – I was in contact with John and he said, oh, you should come along to the, the, the show. And I just thought just to say hi. And I turned up, and he was like, oh, you'll go on second after so-and-so. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be on it. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ended up, this was right at the inception of um, Hooked on Wrestling when we were trying to do that. So yeah. it was quite cool as we were um, pushing the start of Hooked on Wrestling to hear John Bradshaw Layfield shouting you know, those words down the uh, down his microphone was uh, <laughs> was, was kind of cool. But, so, yeah, I wrote some bits and bobs for um, uh, for the Layfield Report in its early days, but uh, uh, not, not, yes. not, all that, not all that much, to tell you the truth. So to to try to finish my story, I'm sorry for rambling. I'm trying to get it all in, but oh, no, um, good. yeah. So as Paul knows, like I'm pretty big in terms of interacting with people online. So like if somebody asks you a question or an email, I get emails all the time, tweets and and Facebook and you know, John, did you see this story? John, did you see that story? It's funny how people are. They think I don't look at it when it's my career, basically. <laughs> um, like, what do you think I'm doing? But I've been able to you know, build a website. We, we did about 3 million views last year alone on tjwrestling.net. I, I write freelance at the comeback, um, and it's my full-time job. So it's it's weird that it's become a career, but that's kind of what I'm doing, and I don't know how long I'm going to do it. I, I've said that to Paul many times. Like, I don't know how long I could do this, but at the same time, if I stopped, I don't know what I would do. So um, it's not a bad gig because you could stay at home. You don't have to spend money on gas, go up in traffic, and and deal with all the people out there. You don't get sick as much because you don't have dealing with people. Um, you can sit in your track in your sweatpants all day and type of <laughs> wrestling. It's easy. So, um, but you got to put in the work. Like I put uh, in an average week. Like, I'll, like I'll, I'll tell Paul this. I'm like I wrote thirty thousand words in like four days last week. So, because I had an awards uh, column, I did uh, a couple special columns. Plus, the raw reviews are six thousand words. The SmackDown reviews are about four thousand. So every week and then you know if you put in the work people come back like they know they know that i'm going to put it in so they're going to check it out right so and if it's not up by like 11 a.m on tuesday morning people are like where is the raw deal i need the raw deal so it's like a drug or something so that's such a good that is such a good sign though if you can have something that <laughs> yeah. you are a couple of hours late with and people are you know on you where's this then that's a good sign because yeah i'm like the show's three hours and it's the same thing every week it's tough to, <laughs> to yeah. find things to write about sometimes <laughs> absolutely right and uh yeah, I know from I was there'll be people listening to this going, "Yeah, Rob, you were the worst for it." Because when I did my 
I was the worst for um, saying, oh, this is going to be up on Monday. And then sort of like Wednesday afternoon, I went, oh, here you go. Because I had other things to do. Um, so I was very poor at that. We're not going to do that with a Hooked On podcast, though, are we, Paul? Because Paul's going to be in my ear stopping me from doing that kind of thing. Yeah, I've got a cattle prod and a whip just at the ready, Rob. So you the, the, step. The, the, thing with, <laughs> the thing with podcasts, and we've done, I've done podcasts, different versions of the last three, four years. We had Bret Hart on. We had Mickey James on many times. Um uh, that's the other thing like i've i've run her website and, and facebook for like seven years she's a good friend paul knows her too i'm sure rob's probably met her at some point Did. but yeah um so i i'm involved in a lot of things and keeps me busy and um the thing with podcasts is there's so many of them um especially when there's wrestlers doing them like chris jericho steve austin all these guys jim ross all these people in wrestling doing them so it's tough to be regular guys and say oh come listen to our podcast but you know, I don't even care how many people listen to it. I enjoy doing mine. I enjoy talking to you guys. I hope we could do this again. And, you know, like, it's just a good way to interact with people. Why not? Absolutely right. And um, uh, I'm going to come back to you in a second and get you can tell a little uh, story, if you like, a little show busy story, if you want. Because what me and Paul are going to do is, uh, as, as the podcast goes on, is we've had so many really cool experiences within wrestling and um, that we've been fortunate with as much as anything else. And, uh, those who have listened so far, have, well, I think we've probably done the Ric Flair stories to death, but uh, I've got an interesting little Mick, uh, Mickey James story, which is that um, uh, I actually stood in once for, um, he meant, gets to mention every podcast, but Simon Rothstein, uh, who used to be the publicist for, for TNA over here in, in Britain and indeed Europe, um, yeah. Simon was uh, meant to be taking Mickey to a, a personal appearance when she was over here, and uh, he couldn't make it, he had a, a family thing he needed to sort, and um, uh, I had interviewed Mickey along with my uh, WrestleCast partner, Joel Ross, for a uh, for WrestleCast on the Sun's website just a, a day or two before, and Simon asked me to step in. So I ended up um, uh, looking after Mickey James at a signing at the Entertainer Toy Store in the Westfield Centre in Shepherd's Bush in West London, getting stuck in traffic for a long time, being there quite a bit late getting there. But Mickey was absolutely first class, made sure that everyone got seen, even though she had to go way past her allotted time because of the uh, the hold-up. She was absolutely brilliant. But I stood, I didn't have a lot to do once I was there, and I was sort of stood to one side. And this little kid, he could only have been five or six years old, came up to me and said, uh, excuse me, are you her bodyguard? And I went, <laughs> I went, uh, yeah, yeah, I am. And I thought, just for that one minute, I'm going to have the little, uh, one little person in the world thinking that I'm a bodyguard for Mickey James, which uh, actually I was just uh, someone doing a job and standing around and not doing very much indeed. But uh, um, Mickey was fantastic to deal with, a great, great deal of fun. Um, Paul was there. We we went out with uh, her and Nick and a few others one night uh, in London after a media day. She's uh, a lovely girl, and I'm really pleased for her that she's um, in a really good place family-wise. And it was great to see her back for the uh, the NXT show not long ago. Yeah, I was at the NXT show, and she she killed it. It was great. Um, got to see her after, and she's like, she took a power bomb on the floor, so she was kind of in pain and stuff. But um, other than that, she was she was good. And it's funny because people will ask me about her because they know we're close, and I'll be like. And they'll be like, oh, does she know it? Did, did, have you talked to her lately about W? I'm like, actually, I talked to her last night, and she talked. She told me about how she couldn't cut her son's fingernails because he's two years old. So, <laughs> so that's what I talked to her That's the about. reality. Yeah. So, you know, we, we talk like friends, and I'm that way with Paul and everything, too. Like, it's just she's a regular person. People just think that you're on TV, that you're a big deal and everything. But, yeah, the fact that she's going back to W after six years is amazing, and it's what she's always wanted. Uh, as much as she liked going to England and going all over America and wrestling indie shows, it's like, you know, she she made a name for herself in WWE and the fact that she, she could be going back there when she's 37 years old and maybe, you know, have a couple good good years there and kind of wrap it up kind of thing, right? So, 
um, I'm really happy for her. That's that's one of my favorite things that happened last year, um, from a personal standpoint, for sure, uh, for her. And you know, it's cool that she's back. Shane McMahon's back. Goldberg's back. All these other things. Now, when's Kurt Angle coming back? Right. Oh, man alive, wouldn't that be good? We talked about that on the last podcast, about whether Kurt is a dark horse for the Rumble. We decided probably not, um, but uh, I think I think primarily everyone wants to see a fit Kurt Angle back. This is the point, is that not uh, not washed up, you know, struggling with various issues, Kurt, but we want clean, healthy Kurt, which by all accounts he is these days. And so if he can get himself in some good shape and, uh, you know, be sensible, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever like to see him go back on the road full-time, but just uh, pick and choose and get his moments right because uh, there's some... There's some. Re- I don't like using the word dream matches because it seems a little bit old aptamag, but yeah. it's it's just to think about Kurt Angle versus um, anybody about, against Kevin Owens, for example. Would just I could just see a brilliant clash of styles between those two and 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 a few others that are around. You know, Kurt Angle versus Seth Rollins, and just even even some of the old ones that we've seen before, like against guys like Styles and Lesnar, and even Jericho. That'd be just great fun to see. But uh, we'll worry about that when it happens. I think. I think the thing quickly on Angle is, um, like Mickey mentioned to me, she's, she's worried that people would forget about her because it's been six years, so there's different people. But the people did not forget about her. They, they cheered her. They went wild for her. She was in tears at the end of the match. Shane McMahon, when he came back about a year ago, that pop in Detroit is one of the loudest I've ever heard in my life. And Goldberg came back. like That was a big deal. So I think Kurt Angle is on another level from all those guys. I think, I, I said this to Paul, I'm like, Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels are the two best in-ring performers I've ever seen. As all due respect to Ric Flair, I think Ric Flair did it for longer, but I think Sean and Angle are the best as far as in ring, right? So I would agree um, with that. I think with with Kurt, what you should do is build him, bring him back as GM. I love Mick Foley, but I don't know how long he's going to be doing it. So you make him a GM or Raw, you put him in storylines with certain people, like maybe Rusev as an example, the Russian against the American hero. And then you have a match at SummerSlam, for example. You have a match at Survivor Series, for example. You don't have to wrestle on TV, but you could have big pay-per-view matches once in a while. So that's how I would use Angle. uh, You go, Paul, and any Kurt thoughts, because I I did promise on a recent podcast that one day I'd tell you my my idea for Kurt Angle. And since we've organically got on to talking about him, I'll come on to my my Kurt idea. But, uh, Paul, you you first on on Kurt. Yeah, well, obviously I was quite close to Kurt through TNA. I've been on... A few tours with him around the UK. I spent a week with him in India. Um, fantastic guy. Um, but the worry is, you know, he's, he's, he's gone so hard for so long, not even just as a pro wrestler, but as an amateur. You know, can he possibly, at the age he is, keep up with the, keep up with the demands of WWE? Because of that, for years, I've said, nope, that's it. There's no way you're going to see him there. It's done. Then Goldberg came back and kind of changed, yeah. <laughs> changed the game, really, for me. Um I would not be at all surprised to see Angle now as that, you know, the, the video game guy in inverted commas next year. So you've oh, had, yeah, good point. You've had Warrior, you've had Sting, you've had Goldberg in the last three years. Three guys to one degree or another who were never coming back to WWE and they're all, they've all been there. To me, there isn't, there's a, there isn't that many guys, there aren't that many names left that could fill that role now. Um, Angle is far and away the most suitable, so I would not be remotely surprised to see Angle against, say, Rusev or whoever else at the Survivor Series next year. There's only one guy out there. There's one other guy other than Angle that's out there that's the video game guy, but heaven and earth would have to move for it to happen. Brother. 
It's C- no, it's CM Punk. CM Punk. Yeah. Ah, of course. Yeah, it would have to be CM Punk coming back would be such a big deal, but you could you could do it with video games as well. It could just be enormous, and he might need that extra financial incentive. Eventually, they might say come back, and he goes right, okay, give me a stupid deal to come back plus a video game, and I'll think about it. So that's maybe a thing. I'm trying to think of any Kurt. I haven't got. If you've got any Kurt stories, Paul, feel free to uh, to charge him with them. I can only really think of one, and it's quite a it's a low key one because my I've had quite a lot of dealings with Kurt, but for the most part, it's just a a nice guy if a bit spaced out really but i remember being backstage not backstage but in the after party from a tna uh, tour in london and uh uh my friend matt parrow who you know as well paul the uh, a fantastic magician really excellent magician uh check him out online matt parrow p-a-r-r-o um matt was um backstage at the uh, the show as well but not necessarily in a, a professional capacity but he is such a good close-up magician that i was encouraging him to uh to show a few different people some tricks. And in fact, I think Mickey was one of the people that we uh, we did a close-up trick for. I say we. I had very little to do with it. <laughs> but um, I said, anyone you'd really like to do it for, Matt? And he said, oh, you know, Kurt. So I had had a couple of drinks, so I was quite bold. So I went up to Kurt, and I think he sort of half remembered me. And I said, this is my friend Matt. He wants to show you a trick. And Kurt really, really loved it, to the point where he tweeted about it a couple of days later, and we were able to say, oh, this was Matt. This is who it was. And, and Kurt loved it and, and, and sent a message to him. So... I thought that was a really nice gesture that, that Kurt went out of his way to, you know, to say about that. And he, every time I've ever met him, he struck me as a, a total class act. Although as a as a journalist, I've learned that if you do an interview with Kurt, he can say one thing and then he can speak to someone in the next time slot and tell them something radically different. Um, not as a lie, but just as a, the way he remembers things. It's not always uh, the most crystal, but I've got the most respect for him as a as a as a wrestler. And he's a perfectly good guy in, in all of my dealings so uh, it would be brilliant to see Kurt back but on the right terms as I keep saying yeah, I'll, I agree. I'll, I'll just say one more one more thing about Kurt I think the reason they stayed away like all those years because he had like what four DUIs or something like that and mm-hmm. it took him three years it's been three or four years he's clean and sober he's in a good place in his life and I think if Vince and Triple H talked to him they would see that and I think like he's he's helping people with their rehab and stuff like that so I think he just had his fifth child uh, another daughter so I mean, he's focused on his family and stuff, but I think he'd be willing to work once a week for WWE kind of thing. So I hope it happens. Yeah, Kurt, Kurt's an, a favorite of mine, probably my favorite of all time. And on a sort of personal, I've never, I've dealt with him a lot of times, but not got any outrageously funny stories to tell. But really, he he bookended my TNA career. The first, my first day working with the agency that represented TNA was at there. It was on their first UK tour in Essex, and I literally was was stood there next to my at the time brand new boss trying to have a conversation with some guys in suits that meant very little to me at the time while standing right to the next to the side of me was Kurt Angle um, and, and the child and the mark in me all I wanted to do was break off from this very important conversation I was supposed to be having <laughs> and just say hello to Kurt and it took it took all the will in the world to not just turn face and turn and turn to speak to Kurt but I just about managed it um, is, that, is that the tour that Kurt came on even though he was hurt and didn't work no, he worked. He worked. Oh, it was, okay. This was like the very first TNA tour when they did Liverpool, um, Olympia. Yeah. Um, I was he, at those two shows in Liverpool, and I, I, my recollection was that Kurt didn't work. He just cut promos because he was hurt. But uh, I might be, I might be, you know, maybe my recollection's wrong. Maybe my recollections, but I'm, I'm pretty certain he, he did. I, you know, somebody I'm sure on this podcast will tell me, tell me whether I'm right or wrong. But then fast forward a few years to my to coming into the start of my last year with TNA, and like a 
sort of mentioned earlier, I got to spend a week in India with Kurt. And if anyone knows anything of India or know has been there, the traffic is insane. So we were, Kurt and I and Gail Kim was on the tour as well. We'd, we'd often be in separate cars. So it'd be me and Kurt or me and Gail and then my colleague and the other one in another car. So I got to spend literally hours at a time sat in cars with Kurt Angle just talking wrestling. Just talking about what his thoughts on the current scene, what he'd done in his career, what he wanted to do. And it was, you know, like like Rob said, it wasn't all, you know, you had to take it with a little bit of a pinch of salt, but it was just phenomenal to be in the guy's presence. And he was such a nice, courteous guy, very businesslike. You know, at the end of the day, he was off to his room. There was no socializing, but, um, you know, like I say, no wild stories to tell because he was sober at the time and still is. But just such an honour to be to work with him for that week. Probably, probably my career highlight that week. Excellent stuff. I, I, did, I thought of one more very brief one, which was um, I was at uh, Bound for Glory 2009, and Kurt wrestled uh, Matt Morgan that night. And I remember, um, I remember being, I think, in catering, and Kurt was sort of sat to one side. I think I can only remember him talking to Taz. He was, and he looked in, he looked in pain. He looked stressed. He looked hunched, and you just felt your heart went out for the guy. And then he went through the curtain an hour or two later and tore the house down with Matt Morgan. A cracking match. And just what a pro. You know, what he, what he must have gone through to be able to do that in terms of summing up the adrenaline. And his come down must have been horrific. But, you know, he was able to just turn it on, for, you know, for the, that, uh, that second. And since you mentioned it, Gail Kim is another absolute sweetheart, by the way. I love Gail to pieces as a, as a person and a, and a wrestler. Mm-hmm. But we're starting to get into a bit of an admiration society, so I'll, I'll move it on. Um, the Kurt, my Kurt idea, in brief, which I've had for a couple of years, is that if he's right, bring him back on one episode of Raw as Paul Heyman's new client. So if you're not going to have Lesnar around all that often, Angle's, uh, Paul Heyman's new client is Kurt Angle. And he brings him out on Raw. Kurt doesn't say anything. And Paul Heyman says, this is the very last time you will ever see Kurt Angle on WWE Weekly Television. Because from now on, he only does pay-per-views. And every pay-per-view, you can do it a little bit like the John Cena US Title Open Challenge, except I would build to the matches rather than um, just spring it on people. Although you could spring it on people if you wanted to. But every month or every couple of months, depending on how often you want to use him, it's a new challenger. So he, and then he would have to win for quite a lot. And then when you, you can then kind of make someone by having him beat Kurt. But um, you say, OK, Kurt's first pay-per-view is coming up four weeks time and he's going to wrestle Sami Zayn. And so you've got three or four weeks of Sami Zayn saying, I know I can beat Kurt, doing promos for Heyman. And then you get to the pay-per-view, you see Kurt wrestle. It's an absolute stunner. Kurt wins. And that's it for another month. And then Heyman can keep doing that on a cycle. You only use Kurt nine or ten times a year. You, you have you really, really hold him back for those matches which feel so important because you don't see him on Raw every week. And then maybe once or twice a year put in, in Mania build-up and stuff, you can have him make a surprise appearance and you're not used to it and it makes it feel more special. But that's how I'd use Kurt. I'd protect him as a person, you know, for having to do too many shows and I'd protect him as a, as a marketable value because you'd get so... Even if the, other, the rest of the pay-per-view looked poor, you could say, but I can watch Kurt Angle versus whoever and you can do all of those matches that you've been dying to do to me, it would work wonderfully, but that's just me. Yeah. The only problem with that is the one Raw appearance would spike the ratings. Like, you'd get, like, three and a half million viewers, and then the other episodes would get, like, two, 2.9 million. And then Vince would be like, we need to put Angle back on TV, and it ruins the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I like your idea, though. I like it a lot. I think, yeah, you're, you're right, John. The, the practicalities of it is uh, Vince's changeable nature. It would seem a good idea for <laughs> a month, yeah. wouldn't it? And then he'd, uh, he'd, uh, he'd change back. Anyway, that's my idea. If anyone else has got any... Uh, 
any ideas that they want to send us at any point, we'd be happy to uh, discuss um, booking ideas for people. But uh, sort of back to the point, um, back to the rumble. Um, who is going to win then, John? Who is? This is not what you would do. This is not your uh, your head or your heart. This is you thinking about it, studying it, and with an eye to WrestleMania, who are your top, let's say, two or three picks that can win the Royal Rumble on Sunday, on Sunday the 29th of January? Okay, I'll say this. Um, I think Roman Reigns will win the Universal title from Kevin Owens on, on Sunday, January 29th. They, they announced on Monday's Raw they're going to have Roman versus KO and Jericho in a U.S. title match, handicap match. I think you get the title off Reigns there. You put it on Jericho. Um, you have Reigns win the title from Owens. Owens goes crazy because he lost the title, and Jericho's got the title. So Owens ends up beating the shit out of Jericho. Um, they have a U.S. title match. Jericho's a face against Owens. That's the U.S. title match. Um, and then who does Roman face? The Royal Rumble winner, Braun Strowman. And Whoa. there's people that are going to be like groaning and stuff, right? They're going to be like, oh, I don't want him to be win. But guess what Vince McMahon's favorite storyline is? Big man versus babyface superhero, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen him with, mm-hmm. with Andre the Giant, uh, The Undertaker. As a, Undertaker necessarily was usually the face, but he faced all these big men. Fake Undertaker, Great Khali, Giant Gonzalez, all these guys. Um, you know, Kane, Big Show, all these guys. How many times did John Cena beat Big Show, right? In that same storyline. Mm-hmm. And so... Vince McMahon has Roman Reigns as his face, even though we boo him, a lot of people boo him. I don't hate Roman, but I think as a face, he's not working. They should have turned him two years ago, um, and he would have been more of a face eventually. But I think Vince McMahon is going to say, we need to put Braun Strowman against Roman Reigns and have Roman Reigns beat him. And Braun Strowman's going to be undefeated. No one's going to beat him, and Roman's going to beat him at WrestleMania. That's what I think they're going to do. I'm not saying that's the last match at WrestleMania, because I think they might do Cena Taker. Um, and if you just seen a taker, whether it's for a title or not, that should be the last match probably. So I think it'll be Roman versus Strowman. So Strowman's my pick. If I didn't pick Strowman, like if I had multiple picks, like you said, pick three guys. I think um, the Undertaker has an outside shot. I wouldn't do it personally because again, he's what, 51 years old, 52 years old. But if Cena beats AJ, and I want AJ to win, but I think Cena might win, then you could do Cena Undertaker for the title as a main event. So, um, if it was me though, like I, I think they're going to go Strowman. I really believe it. That is an extremely convincing argument. One that I can pick zero holes in, um, because as you say, we're talking their logic, not ours. Um, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm, I'm I don't mind that... Strowman. Like I, I think he's okay. Um, the, the only thing is, like he hasn't had any any showcase matches, so we don't know what he's going to do in a 15 minute match with Roman Reigns. Like, Sami Zayn got a three-star match out of him in the last minute stadium match on Raw. That's Sami Zayn. It's not Roman Reigns. Mm. Um, the good thing is Reigns has wrestled bigger guys like Big Show, and he's had some decent matches. Like, they had an Extreme Rules match in Chicago I was at. Um, it was a really good match, actually. So, it could happen, but... I, I mean, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, no, I'm no, going with, Ro- with Strowman at this point. Part of me is um, distracted by the fact that all I can think of right now is the old uh, Scottish Highland song, Roman in the Gloman, and just I'm hearing Roman and the Strowman. But, um, <laughs> but apart from that, it makes a lot of sense. And certainly what I always think to do at this sort of time of year, which I'm sure is what the booking committee are doing as well, is to start to block off WrestleMania. So you have to assume a lot of things. So if you assume that it's Cena Undertaker, and then you assume it's, say, Cesaro and um, Sheamus, and you assume... Triple H Rollins. Triple H Rollins, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Owens and Jericho, you know, the tag teams obviously all do their own thing. The girls will do their own thing. But if we're just talking about the singles, male wrestlers, you start to block it off. 
and there's not all that many people remaining, is there? So Roman versus Strowman makes a hell of a lot of sense in terms of what they would like to do. Obviously, I forgot about um, Brock and Goldberg. That's what, that looks after itself. Yeah. So the missing man in all this... is Roman. It, well, it's AJ Styles. Yeah, yeah. So me and Paul talked about last time about there's a possibility of a maybe someone like a Nakamura or someone or gets Joe. called yeah. up, or Joe. Uh, those are possibilities. But AJ is a bit of a missing man, isn't he? So unless they go with, let's say, a bit of a dream thing in some people's eyes, and it's a returning Finn Balor win in the Rumble. Mm-hmm. And they could then go with Balor versus AJ. Cena's doing his thing with Undertaker, doesn't need the belt. They could still do Roman versus uh, Strowman, don't need the belt. So that, I think, the saving... AJ is almost completely has to be against someone that is either debuting, Nakamura, or, or Joe, or returning, like a Balor. I don't really... I can't really find anyone else unless one of you wants to throw a name at me and I'll suddenly go, oh, yeah, of course. But that's all I can think of. Paul, do you agree? Uh, broadly speaking, yeah, I completely agree. Um, I love the Strom- Strowman idea. I'm, I'm actually a fan. I'm a bit of a sucker for big guys um, that have got a bit of something about them. a joke a bit there, it's okay. We'll <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. I will say this. I sat in Paul's house. The first time I ever went to Paul's house, and shock horror, we watched some wrestling, and the wrestling was on, and it was a, it was a Ryback squash match. And he'd only been around, of, you know, as Ryback, not Skip Sheffield, a, a little while. And Paul went, I love this guy. He's fantastic. <laughs> He's going to be a big star. Now, I don't know if you shared that as, uh, as time went on, uh, Paul. But um, you were a big Ryback guy from the start. And I, 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 was, I was the original Rybacker. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just think, you know, he had something about him. And um, I think Strowman's different. I think Strowman is that big monster heel that's eventually going to be there to be to be conquered, um, and and who who better to do it really in in the eyes of WWE than Roman Reigns at WrestleMania? I think it might actually work well in the way that Sheamus got Reigns cheered at the back end yeah. of 2015. I think it'll probably work in the same way, especially if we see Strowman win the Rumble, beat up a few guys, you know, like Zayn and the fact that the fans are really into. Him. So yeah, let's pencil those two in together. I love love the Jericho Owens idea with the US title involved. I, I penciled them in for WrestleMania, but didn't think about the title. Uh, yep, count me in for that. Um, Cena Taker. I think Cena is going to beat Styles. I've become more and more convinced as we go along. I think you're going to see Cena uh, beat Styles at a Rumble, take on Taker for the title at WrestleMania. And that's easily set up. You know, you have Cena come out, say he, he's now the face that runs the place again. He's beaten Styles. He's the top dog. And then suddenly, bong. And there you go. You got your match straight away. Um, so yeah, you're right. That leaves Styles, who deserves absolutely deserves a key WrestleMania match. And I, my pick is Finn Balor. Such an easy story. Oh yeah. Comes back. You know, you've got the club versus the club. Um, you know, they've got the Japanese thing going on. Such an easy story to tell on on a on an insider fan level and on a broader. Base a match for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely! And there's your work rate match for WrestleMania. That's there's your twenty-minute work rate match. Yeah. Um, got also you got the brand versus brand thing that it brings in Raw versus SmackDown. So to me, that's that's what Styles does at Styles does at WrestleMania. I think it works really well. And if we get anything like the card we're talking about, Triple H from uh, Triple H Rollins as well, you look at a really classic WrestleMania potentially. It's starting to look well, a bit good, isn't it? I think. Go on, put, They're going to have like 18 matches probably, so we'll, we'll have to sit through six <laughs> seven, hours. Seven on the pre-show. Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe so. Um, we're, uh, I know I, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves with the Mania, but it's good fun talking. Does this mean that perhaps there's a, a match in the middle 
um, which is, I don't know how we'd work it. Um, so maybe Miz is going to have to defend, because Miz kind of deserves something prominent at Mania, the, the kind of year yeah. he's had. But does it mean that Miz is going to have to hang his IC title belt high and we're going to see the ladders come out again? So it might be Miz, let's say Ambrose in that match, Sami Zayn, and one or two others. Does that is that where the IC title belt's going to have to go? I feel a bit sorry for Miz. It seems like it's been the last two years, right? So yeah. it seems like it. What about this, guys? What about just thinking about this off my head? Um, Miz defending against Samoa Joe. Yeah. Shit talks him for a few weeks, avoids him, avoids him, avoids him, finally gets signed for WrestleMania, and Joe comes in and annihilates him in minutes. Takes yeah, the time. like Dana Bryan's like, I found somebody for you to face at WrestleMania. Exactly. Yeah. Mm, that's I what am- I think. That's what, how I think you could set up AJ Styles against Joe or Nakamura because AJ can be like, I beat everyone on Raw. You know, John Cena is a champion, but I beat him three times or whatever. No one can beat me or whatever. And then here comes Nakamura, here comes Joe. Either one, like Joe could be a face or a heel too because they could turn AJ face, right? Anytime, right? Because he's getting yeah. cheered more than anyone anyway. So, um, I, 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 like like Rob said, like AJ is the odd man out in some of these matches we're playing and stuff. So, he obviously deserves a main event, but I don't. I don't see Vince picking him over uh, Roman or Triple H or Undertaker or something like those are his guys. So I think you know. I, I'm lower on that idea, not because I don't like it, but because I've never thought. Well, actually, I have briefly, briefly thought and then gone back again. I've never really thought that they they see Samoa Joe as a main roster guy. I've always thought, maybe he'll be in the Rumble as a, as yeah. someone that can be good, but I don't think they see Samoa Joe as someone to invest in. You know, for any amount of time on the main roster, certainly not someone to come in and squash Miz. Not in, and I think they see him as a heel. So I, I don't, I don't see that fitting. I can see them maybe going with an AJ babyface thing, and Joe is a contender or is a, you know, a, a wrestler for him if they were going to do it. I don't see, I don't see the Miz thing if I'm, uh, if I'm honest, because I just, I don't think they see Joe in the same way. I don't think they see lots of people in NXT, you know, Aries included. A lot of the TNA guys actually that they brought in. You know, obviously AJ bypassed everything, but I think most of the guys they brought in with some some name value from other companies. I think they see as facilitators, so they can try and get you know other up and coming um, wrestlers to to work with them, and then push them onto the main roster. That's kind of how I feel that they're trying to do things. I think Joe being in the Rumble is like almost a lock because they taped NXT last night and it was for. Uh, for uh, nights of it, and he wasn't in anything except um, like there was a ta- tag match, which I believe is a dark tag match, like not taped. Okay. And and so he's not on the takeover card at all. So it tells me that 100% he's going to be in the Royal Rumble. So mm. he's definitely coming to the main roster. But like you said, I don't think they anticipated putting him there right away. But I think now Triple H is probably in Vince's ears. Like we could really use this guy as a face or a heel. He could face Roman Reigns for the title, you know, right away. Um, in May and June, you know, because after WrestleMania, you need somebody to face Roman Reigns before he loses at SummerSlam or something, right? So we've seen that formula every year. Remember when they turned Ryback here, Paul's Paul's buddy Ryback? They turned him heel to face John Cena for a couple of months. They, they had our truth against John Cena one year. Like they always find somebody to fill that role. So I think Joe could be that guy. So I think ahead so much, man. I just, just always thinking ahead. I really, really hope he does get to could do. It. I've, so Joe is one of those people I've had pretty much zero interaction with. I've never interviewed him. I've never met him properly. I've been around him tons of times, but I've never really had that uh, interaction. We'll get um, 
We'll get Vikram Sangar on this uh, podcast one day. One of our, our crew with uh, Hooked on Events and uh, Vic knows a lot of those guys from that sort of era, him and Daniels and AJ and stuff. We'd be good. Vic will have tons of uh, Samoa Joe stories that we can uh, we can get to one day. While I'm mentioning Hooked on Events, um, we won't go into too much detail on this podcast because we've done it on the other ones and we're going to do it again in the future and we want to you know use up John's time rather than uh, waffling about our stuff. But uh, Hooked on Events, we run... Um, if you've not seen them or been to them before, we run pay-per-view parties. We've got six of them going for this year's Royal Rumble on Sunday, the 29th of January. Paul, the venues are? We have got Walkabout in London at Temple, right above Temple Station. And then we are running Shooters Sports Bar and Grill in Birmingham, Leeds, Manchester, Cardiff and Birmingham. Excellent. And... Uh, I see. I've got a good technique here, John, which is I just let Paul do all that work. I don't have yeah. to look at things. I don't have it written down. <laughs> I just just shout to him, and he does all these kind of things. Uh, Paul, you guys do a great job with it, and, I, and Paul's talked to me about it before. And I, I always ask him questions: How many people did you get? How much did you make? All this kind of stuff. And he tells me, and I'm like, "It's a really good idea. I should start it in Canada." I'm just, I'm not going to do it. I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> hey, look, I, hey, you, you can. We, we can do a deal. You can have some sort of franchise. <laughs> <laughs> so we can we can do Canadians are pretty hardcore, trust me. Well, um, we can do Leeds, you know Leeds what, Manchester, though? Birmingham, Cardiff, London, and Toronto. I love that idea as the uh, as the extra one. Yeah. Um, Sold. But yeah, it's a really good idea. Like that you guys are doing, and hopefully you're making money off it, and the the fans go and get drunk at like three in the morning there, so it's nice. And I told Paul, I'm like, I tell people to plug my name to him or whatever if they see him, and he better give him a free beer or something like that. Uh, and it's happened more than once, John. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are in any of those places um, come the uh, the Royal Rumble day, then uh, check out the parties. If you're in London, certainly make sure you book ahead because that's uh, that might get perilously close to selling out, such as the demand for tickets. All early bird tickets gone, all tables and stuff so far gone, but you can still buy tickets online. Paul's going to tell you where from in just a minute. But if uh, if you're wondering what they are, they are not just simply turn up at midnight, watch a wrestling show and go home. That is obviously the main part of it because you are within a room with hundreds of like-minded wrestling fans having a drink, having some fun. You can come on your own. You'll still love the atmosphere. You'll make friends. You'll have a drink. You'll have a great time. But we have other things going on in the evening. We have our famous Hooked on Quiz. Um, we have uh, we encourage fancy dress. It's not compulsory. Some people get a little bit, um, you know, they back off because they think it's compulsory. It isn't. If you don't want to dress up as a wrestler, then just whack on your favorite wrestling T-shirt and come along anyway. But if you want to go the whole hog, get into costume, get into character, we'd love that. We give away prizes for that as well. We'll often have a little competition where you can show off your, uh, uh, show off your, your wares, as it were. And um, that's all adds to uh, some grist to the mill. And we have lots of fun going on all night at all venues. So um, if you're at a loss as to what to do, uh, come and check us out. We run parties for the Rumble, WrestleMania and SummerSlam and sometimes some select others. So uh, we'd love you to come and check us out. You can find out more on our social media, which is Paul. Social media, facebook.com forward slash HO Wrestling or Twitter, which is uh, HO uh, at HO underscore wrestling. Excellent stuff. And, Paul, they can buy tickets from? From ringsideworld.co.uk is the main place to buy tickets for all our parties. As Rob said, London, we are capping it, and we are getting perilously close to putting the sold-out signs out. We're not there yet, so don't worry too much, but I expect we will do it before the night. Um, So get your tickets, certainly for London, if you're planning to come along sooner rather than later. Um, You can also purchase, if you're planning to come to one of the shooters' parties outside of London, you can call shooters direct 
um, on 0845 five treble three treble zero um and they can they can sort you out with tickets direct and also packages to reserve tables there um at london tables are completely sold out already the demand has been absolutely insane just to put it into some context i was looking through the numbers just yesterday um and we have already outsold um last year's royal rumble with over three and a half weeks to go so yeah that's phenomenal Pre- demand. Pretty cool, and it uh, all adds to um, what should be uh, a fantastic night. Whether or not the pay per view is good, and I think from what we've been talking I about so far, we, it's looking yeah. like a very decent one. You will have yeah. fun anyway if the pay per view is good. There are there are moments to be had. So even last though last year's Rumble wasn't the best, that's okay. But I I wish the other matches good luck following Cena versus Styles because their <laughs> SummerSlam match was incredible. Good point. And they should go on last, to be honest, but I think the Rumble match will go out last, but it's going to be hard to top them. It will be an absolute belter, but uh, last year, you mentioned AJ Styles, last year, the noise when AJ Styles came out as number yeah. three, despite the rumours, despite what had been knocking around for ages about AJ and Nakamura and Gallows and Anderson and whoever else coming to WWE, it was still a willy, won't he, willy, won't he, and when he came out at number three, we didn't recognise the music you know, it t- Roman Reigns turned and there he was. And the noise in that bar was like nothing I've ever heard. It was so, such a cool moment. I mean, it was a great, it'd been a great moment if you'd been uh, watching in your, in your own pad somewhere. But with another 400 or so wrestling fans, oh my goodness. Anyway, well, um, more of those, those kind of things as the weeks go on here on Hooked on Podcast as we build towards the Rumble. Um, but to, to wrap up um, this show, last week, John, we talked a little bit about um, some surprise entries. It's one of the things that helps the rumble on over the years. There's been some fun ones for comedy. There's been some big returns. There's been just some nostalgic, um, some returns that we've we've seen. We've talked already earlier on about uh, Cena's uh, comeback and Edge, and we talked about maybe Finn Balor might be a possibility for this year. And you also mentioned uh, some other people that didn't necessarily add all that much as their returns. You mentioned uh, Bubba Ray Dudley, for example. I actually personally thought that one was kind of cool. It was cool, but yeah. But uh, horses for courses. Is there anyone in your mind this year? Let's let's look at it from, say, two perspectives. One, it's the surprise entrant that might come from uh, an injury or from an NXT call-up. And the second is maybe a bit of a blast from the past there for a nice one-off nostalgia wave payday and elimination within 60 seconds. I've got a, a free agent nobody's thinking of. Dixie Carter. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, there's a reason no one's thinking of it. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a reason no one's thinking of it. Um, but yeah, um, I think Samoa Joe is going to be the big one. They're not going to announce it. Um, like, you know, like I said, he's not a, a part of the NXT tapings anymore. He'll probably work some live events on NXT even after he's on the main roster. But I think Samoa Joe's a lock. Um, I don't think Finn Balor will be ready because I mean, if it's end of January, that means it's only five months after the surgery, so that's similar to John Cena and Cesaro coming back, but is he as much of a workout freak as them? Is he going to come back as fast as they did? Or is he going to be smarter and come back in February and be ready for, you know, maybe that AJ Styles match or WrestleMania or something like that? So it could be Finn Balor, and if Finn Balor comes back, he could win, because they might do the surprise thing. So, um, you know, he, he was the Universal Champion, so that story of having him chase the Universal title is not a bad thing either. Um, personally, I don't think he's going to come back, but it's five months, so it's possible, right? So, um, as far as other surprises, like, Kurt Angle is a possibility, but I think, you know, I believe him that that story that Dave Meltzer had about how April's, when he's telling people it's coming back, I think WrestleMania time makes more sense. You can't do too many surprises because it takes away from other people, so... Agreed. Um, 
But if you have Samoa Joe as, as kind of a, this is his first time on the main roster, that's kind of a big deal, I think. Um, but we, obviously we've seen him in NXT for what, a year and a half or something. But I don't know who else is, is a walking wrestler that is able to do it. Um, I think Drew McIntyre would be really cool, but I think he's going to probably stay uh, with TNA. Um, because he, he, he's one of those guys in the last few years. You, you know how a bunch of guys have left the company because basically their push has sucked, right? Like because Cody Rhodes, Wade Barrett, Ryback, Drew McIntyre is one of my one of the big ones, I think. Because what is he, 30, 31 years old? They said he was going to be a world champion when he was 23 or something, right? <laughs> and it's like they gave up on the guy because he had a little, you know, divorce with Taron Terrell at the time that led to a fight in a hotel in a, at SummerSlam weekend and he was buried after that, but guess what? He's still good. Like, he's still 30, 31 years old. I think Drew McIntyre would be a great pick, but you know maybe he's going to be committed to the other because because guys can make good money working elsewhere these days, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, do you want to go back to WWE and be thrown in their mid card and maybe be three and B two again? You know, so um, I think I it just, might, de- he, might depend on his contract situation because um, he's free. Like he's free now. I think. He's free, is he? Because yeah, so, I'm never quite sure what's. Um, the situation because my understanding was that uh, although not necessarily been on there all that much that Mark Andrews was a uh, firmly a TNA he's, guy and he's just been announced for the UK tournament so um, yeah in WWE he's, he's so free too so yeah so uh, never quite sure could just a quick point on McIntyre I meant to say something earlier on when you were talking about Mickey which is that she said um, that she was worried that people wouldn't remember her I mean yeah. clearly they did and, and they would do but even if they didn't do you know what she's good enough that even if someone had never seen her before that by the end of the night they'd go Ah, this one's really good. And I Drew's th- better than he was five years ago, for sure. Drew, Drew, would, Agreed. Drew would need that to happen, because if Drew came back, not enough people watch TNA, and the few people that you know know about what goes on and, and have got some respect for Drew know that he's better than uh, what, what WWE yeah. gave him, he would still come back and people would be like, oh, that's the 3MB guy. So he, he has a stigma. It's not that people would forget him, but he's got a if stigma. If his look was different, though, like the, the look that he has now with the beard and the goatee and, and the longer hair, like he doesn't look like the same Drew McIntyre that was in 3MB. So I think he'd be fine. I think they would have to, I think they would have to do a, you know, Daniel Bryan says, I've been scouting and here's a new guy we're yeah. bringing in and do four weeks of vignettes. And I would do the old school approach with McIntyre and bring him back that way. And, you know, and then do some squash matches and explain that he's now a killer. And that Maybe he, Wade and, Barrett's back. Who knows? He, he hasn't committed anywhere, but I think he, he he's focusing on acting and doing other things. But maybe he comes back. You never know. You don't. Um, uh, I, I've got one more to uh, to throw out there that I don't think me and Paul have talked about in uh, in previous weeks. What if, and I think it might be, need to be an early entry for the, uh, the entrance to fit in, but what if one of the early entrants in the Royal Rumble was, let's say, glorious? Yeah, Bobby Roode. <laughs> I was going to say Ty Dillinger at number 10. Ty Dillinger number 10 makes sense. Oh, that would be oh, so love good. Oh, love it. Yeah, love I've it. been saying that for two months, but yeah. <laughs> that would be so good. The countdown t- from 10 down to naught, and it's there. Well, I was at 10. that TakeOver Toronto show, um, and, <coughs> and we were chanting 10 that night and Survivor Series. Does that Survivor Series, too. We were chanting 10 for everything, and they never mentioned it once on like, the commentary, but it was it was hilarious, I thought, so. Um, he's a good guy. I think I think he'll be in the Rumble at number ten. I think they'll do it because he he doesn't really have anything in NXT going on. I don't think. Actually, no, he's got a feud with Eric Young, so he, I think he's part of Takeover. But oh, um, yeah, Bobby Roode could. But I think Bobby Roode's going to be in NXT for most of the year. I think he's going to win the title from Nakamura, and then he's going to carry NXT for most of the year. Yeah, I think that's probably true as well. I'm not necessarily 
uh, saying that Rumble ap- appearances equal call up, but are just oh, yeah, I hear what you mean. if they okay. needed to chuck someone in as, as a moment, you know, I could yeah, just yeah. see that being a really fun early moment. And sometimes they can test the waters with these things, and that um, there are occasionally an NXT act which you think, oh, this is going to be so good when they call them up, and it just fails. It just doesn't work. Partly because they don't get behind them, partly because the NXT is a different environment. I mean, it's not on the same stratosphere as a Bobby Roode, but I think of someone like Emma. You know, that, that that act of, you know, being zany and wacky worked in NXT and they brought her up and put her with Santino and people just went, who is this person and why is she dancing like this? Whereas you did something like the Wyatt family and it just worked. It doesn't matter because it's so good and it works. I wonder if they might, if they are thinking about bringing Bobby up, and I don't think they are, but if they are thinking about it, they might test the water with something like this and go, if this crowd, because you can, he, a little bit like Fandango, although he's a much, much, much better wrestler than Fandango, he can kind of get over with the music. But Fandango's music was over. Fandango wasn't over. Yeah. But Bobby, even if Bobby was a terrible worker, could probably get over just with that music and his look and his um, charisma, even if he was a terrible wrestler. But he's not. He's a fantastic one. So they might just throw something out there to see if people go with it at the Rumble and then you know, use it to test the water. I think it's probably a, a, a less than 30% chance, but you know, I'm just throwing it out there as, a, as another possibility. I mean, I would put Nakamura in, but I don't think they're going to. I think they'll save him until... Probably WrestleMania or the day after WrestleMania. Well, I think that brings in the. Uh, I like Paul's point about the um, uh, the video game guy every year. I've never that's never really crossed my mind, but uh, certainly something else that seems to now be a staple is the is the night after Mania guy. Well, there was quite a few this year, I think, wasn't there? But um, um, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle is lined up for that, but yeah, but that could be a good Nakamura moment, couldn't it? To uh, to have him be just after WrestleMania, be pretty much a year, wouldn't it? In uh, NXT for him at that point. was That was his first match, wasn't it, at TakeOver Dallas? Is that right? Yeah, right, yeah, it was his first match. I would have put him on the main roster the next day because, yeah. I don't know. What, what, the guy's 36. Like, I don't know if you guys ever heard wrestlers talk about the bump card, for example. Absolutely. Like, the bump card's full. What's he going to do, wrestle until he's 45? No, he's going to wrestle probably another four or five years. Get him on the main roster. I like NXT, but the name sells itself. NXT has a TakeOver event. It sells out before any matches is announced. So what's the draw? The draw is the brand, right? Because mm-hmm. the quality of NXT shows has been good. If Nakamura moves up to the main roster, nobody's going to complain. We're going to get more Nakamura matches. You know? Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree I more. See, I see what they're doing, though. Like They want to make NXT a third brand. They've been touring in Australia and Japan and everywhere. Like I think they did like 12 shows in like 14 days. Like It's pretty cool how much it's grown, but at the same time, you know, do you want to boost ratings? I think Nakamura is a significant draw. Um, so, especially in Japan, he's just anyway. so he's just so talented that, again, I've mentioned this already on the podcast. But everyone that I'd spoken to that had never seen Nakamura, I talked yeah. them up and just said, "You're going to love him." And people fell in love with him before he hit the ring. I know I did when I first the first time I saw him was at a Wrestle Kingdom about three years ago, and I uh, just before so he made the ring, was a, yeah. this guy is a megastar. He carries himself well. He looks fun. He looks cool. And I fell in love with him even more by listening to um, his, his podcast with Jericho, where he just came across so so well, so well spoken, to the point where his English the, is good enough. Yeah. His English is absolutely good enough. It's not he's never going to be able to do twenty minute, you know, back and forth promos. But mind you, no, neither should ever anybody because it just goes on for too long and he's a bit self indulgent. And uh, I was just, I would kill to see him, you know, having the same sort of thing as. Uh, oh goodness me, can you imagine Angle versus Nakamura? Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's exactly. It. Hey, Paul, have you ever? I know we're off topic, but have you ever played Nakamura's entrance for your son? I know your son's like what three or four. Well, has he ever seen it yet? 
it's on the list. It's on the list. <laughs> we've got we've got a long ways to go before we get there. We'll be starting the with Kurt yeah, Angle yeah. and working our way down, but Nakamura will be on that list. So I can just imagine a kid working out for that entrance, like how cool it is, you know. <laughs> John, I called I called Paul a couple of weeks ago, and he didn't answer the phone. And I just sung Nakamura's theme into his, his answer phone for <laughs> 90 seconds. And I thought he's going to have to listen to this and see if I'm getting to the point at any point. And so it was just me singing Nakamura's theme tune. At the NXT TakeOver Toronto, like that was the first time I saw him in person, right? And you're just sitting there and everyone's got their cell phones out there recording the entrance. This is being broadcast on TV. You can watch it when you go home. But you're, it's like you've got to record these people playing violins. I'm sitting there saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a man in my mid-30s. I'm marking out over violins. <laughs> no, it just didn't seem right, but it's so cool the way they present him, and I don't know. But anyway, that, we're off topic and everything. But yeah, like there's so many different potential surprises at the Royal Rumble. If they don't do like two or three things, people will get mad. That's one of the things people get mad about. They get mad about predictability, and they get mad about not being surprised. <laughs> and yeah. That's just the way it is now. Yeah, I am. Um, I've only just. I've. I have never. People might know this that have been listening to me for a long time. I have never been much of a Tommy Dreamer fan, right? But I would happily bring back Tommy Dreamer to have a match with Nakamura just so they could call it the innovator of violence versus the innovator of violins. <laughs> that would be that would be that would make my year. Um, so uh, do it, everyone. Even though that uh, even though I've never rated Tommy Dreamer, it's worth it for that one match. It can only last a minute. I can't wait for like Nakamura against so many guys. Like Nakamura against Cena would be amazing. I just want to see Cena get kicked in the head a bunch of times. Like I'm not saying I'm a Cena hater, but I just don't see it happening. Like is Cena going to take his suplexes on on his neck? You know, like I don't know if it's going to happen. <laughs> that would be. I mean, Cena can. Cena can rise to the occasion with almost anybody. Else. Yeah, he's great now. So to see Cena Nakamura would tell such a great story. That would that would be really slow paced and just I, build to I the right the, moments. It would be excellent. Yeah. I told a friend of mine this though. I said Cena has so much power that he could be like, I want a feud with Nakamura as soon as he's on the main roster, and I think that'll happen because think when AJ Styles was there, like Cena was out for an injury, he comes back as soon as he comes back, who's his match with AJ Styles, right? Mm-hmm. That was an AJ turn heel, so. I think John knows. It's like I want to get a first impression, and I'm going to work with this guy. I'm going to work with that guy. So I think, I think Nakamura's scene is going to have it this year. I would agree. Look at them. Look at the way that Owens debuted, and yeah. you know the, the way they went that with Cena. And you there's can, another one. Yeah, <laughs> you can make someone instantly. I think by putting them with Cena. Um, if yeah. they've, got that, they've got to have the ability. You can't just chuck anyone out there. But uh, yeah. you know, goodness knows, the roster tried... is so good right now. I don't think we we talk about that enough. How much talent there is. Um, I don't know if there's a draw on the roster as far as really captivating the audience, but mm-hmm. they're so deep right now. If I've always said that you do need, I think, a couple of people that are, are going to resonate and, and you know hit those marks, but I think it's harder to do it in today's world. And if they were to consistently you know, perform on Raw and on pay-per-view over, and I'm talking a year, 18 months here, to remove any sort of stigma that, oh, WWE do stupid things, they push muscle guys, they let you down at this time of year, blah, blah, blah. If they got away from that, and so people were going, yeah, I don't watch WWE anymore, it's got a bit boring and pedestrian, and their mate goes, do you know what? It's so good, you've got to come back. I think that's, they're going to be their longer term way of, not, I mean, God bless them for what they've done with Goldberg, I think it's been really fun, but they're never going to make anything long term by bringing back Goldberg. Yeah. And I'm, I'm nothing against the bringing back the old guys to to do yeah. something. I'm, I'm for it. But that's never going to have any long-term growth. But what is, is going to be saying, do you know what, we're committed to an amazing show all the time. <laughs> I'm sure they are trying to do that. But, it, you know, if they were to be able to do that, I think they'd be really on to something. And I, I think that would be the, 
the right route, but uh, easier said than done, I concede. Yeah, I mean, they're still getting 3 million viewers on regular television every week in the US and Canada as well, UK as well. Like, we're the second and third biggest market. So it's like, you know, they're still doing strong. The attendance isn't what it used to be, obviously. Like, I went to the shows in the Austin era and we would sit like in the third level and the arena is full. Now I go to a show and there's like 6,000 or 7,000 in, in a 12,000 seater. But like Toronto had two sellouts because Toronto is a major market. But you know what I mean? Like there's not a season tick, a season, um, a ticket draw necessarily, but you know, the company is doing fine. Uh, they are still making a, a hell of a lot of money. We shouldn't, uh, yeah. we're not going to get out the begging bowls just yet and uh, start uh, organizing a collection. For and them. I'm making money writing about them, so I can't complain too much. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. And before we go, we are starting to wrap up here, but um, we have mentioned your uh, your sites and where people can find you already, John. But uh, give it one last push and uh, let us know where we can find you on social media as well. Um, at John Report on Twitter right now, my profile pic is me and the Iron Sheik. Um, I got to meet him a couple times, and last year was at the WrestleCon. Paul was at, Paul was there. He he saw me there. I was helping Mickey and Nick, and you know the good thing with that was I got a free pass and everything, so I got to meet everyone. It was really cool. Um, Did you feel more humble? Did he make you feel humble or not? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was talking to like his handlers. They're the ones that do his tweets and stuff. So I'm like, you guys do a good job and stuff. That's People such a good, it's, that's it's such really... a good way of putting it. Everyone else would have an agent or a manager, and yeah. Iron Sheik's got handlers. <laughs> well, I guess so, it's so, so true. It's so true. But yeah, there are these two guys from Toronto. They're both Iranian, also. So um, they're really good guys. Um, and yeah, Facebook, if you search John Canton, there's like 4,000 people on there. If you search TJ Wrestling, um, we got, I plug every column that we have that goes up there. So, you know, it's funny how you have a website, but people don't like click on it necessarily. Like they'll just comment on Facebook. And I'm like, click the link I just mm-hmm. posted for you to click on, you know, instead of arguing about something that I already wrote about in the column that you're commenting <laughs> on, you know, just uh, the way the world is. You are preaching to the converted there, my friend. <laughs> that is, uh, that is a daily a daily chore in uh, certainly in my job probably in Paul's as well I think and and yeah Twitter and Facebook Paul knows I'm pretty active and, and um, I enjoy it I have a laugh I'll you know I'll I'll make fun of people once in a while but usually you know you just got to say thanks for reading because there's so many things on the internet there's five thousand raw recaps so the fact that there's people who want to read my raw deal column because I throw in a few jokes or analyze things. Um, in detailed ways and stuff is pretty cool and I, I stay humble I like to think and that's why I keep doing it so might as well um, yeah. the website cjwrestling.net and then I also write two columns a week at the comeback.com I do a raw column and I do another column so that's really it like I used to work at World Culture which is based out of uh, England and they, they started their own professional wrestling company uh, last year and they're doing really well they make money man big time so I did that for two years and it was a lot of fun, but at the same time, like I remember saying to Paul, I'm like, I'm sick of writing lists. I did like 10 lists a week for two years. <laughs> and the money was good. Like it was great money. I was like the second most viewed writer. I helped grow the site. Like at the time when I started in 2014, they weren't that big. And then, I mean, I got like 60 million views in two years. It was huge. And, you know, it was fun. But at the same time, I was like, I got to build my site. So I kind of moved on. No hard feelings. Uh, I still talk to a bunch of guys there, so it, it's it's cool to see them doing well, and a lot of other places on the internet doing well. And I know Rob, you've been you know you've worked in a lot of things on the internet. Paul worked with TNA and behind the scenes and stuff, so it's cool that we're able to contribute to the business that we love, right? Yeah, most certainly, and I think that there is a problem in some ways that uh, 
someone writes three blogs and posts one podcast and suddenly they're a journalist and there's a whole yeah. of a lot. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, by the way. If, everyone, if, if you want to write something and want to put it out there, that's cool. There's nothing wrong with doing that at all. But I have a, I'm a big believer in the, uh, the cream rising to the top. And if you are able to, to do it um, as a living, John, it means you're good at it. Or it means that there's, a, there's an audience out there that want to read your stuff. It means you're good at it. And, you know, you have my every respect for being able to do that. And uh, however much competition there is out there, it doesn't matter if it's wrestling um, organizations or whether it's people on the Internet or whatever it might be. If you're good enough, you'll still you'll still attract attention and uh, for the right reasons. So uh, I applaud you absolutely for doing that. We'll definitely well, um, we'll definitely have you back you on that. the uh, on the Hooked On podcast at some point. Uh, good booking, Paul, is what I'm going to say. Well done, my friend. Thank you, Rob. And can I just add, because I, th- I feel he's been far too modest. You know, if you're not reading John's stuff already, then absolutely get out there and read it now. There's a reason that I've been reading what he's writing since the year 2000 or 2001. It's not because he's now my friend. It's because he's bloody good. Um, literally, the only Raw or SmackDown recaps I ever look at are John's. Multiple columns I read a week. And I'm not just saying this to blow smoke up his ass. He really has got some really fresh opinions. And he writes really well, obviously, as a given, like Rob says, you don't you don't make a living out of this if you're a chump as a writer. Um, and I'd urge you, if you're not already looking at TGR Wrestling, to get it bookmarked because there's plenty of great content on there every week. I would suggest there'll be uh, people listening to this podcast who, uh, who are John fans rather than Hooked On fans that, that, Agreed. Have, uh, that have migrated across. So hi to everyone that's done that and stuck with us to, uh, to this point. Um, this is not necessarily intended as a, as a guest booking format on this podcast. It's largely going to be me and Paul talking Hooked On stuff, talking Rumble stuff at this time of year. But we do intend to be getting some, uh, some guests on as time goes on. And they're going to be essentially friends of ours and people that have worked around media as opposed to going out and you know, trying to book you know, the latest guy that's been released from WWE and, yeah. and talking about that or... You know, someone that's 48 and hasn't wrestled in six years, but still thinks they've got one big run in them. Um, if you want to go back and listen to my old uh, uh, two two part three hour effort with uh, Sean Stasiak from about 2009, <laughs> you'll uh, you'll know. Sean was actually a very very nice guy, but he was saying yeah. how he wants one big run as champion. It's like not going to happen, meet. <laughs> but um, we hope you'll uh, you'll join us again here on the uh, the Hooked On podcast. Um, uh, those of you that are listening, we do have some things lined up as the uh, the month of January rolls on. And we get nearer and nearer to the Royal Rumble, which is the uh, the destination at this point. Um, John, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming and joining us. It's been great. The time has absolutely whizzed by. We will definitely have you on again um, before WrestleMania when we can get into the uh, the meat of some of the WrestleMania issues. And indeed, let's see how you got on with some of your predictions, because I think you've started to form a card in our head today, led by your prediction of Braun Strowman. Yeah, the thing... First, I just want to say thanks to Paul for the for the kind words. We've been good friends for a while. It was really fun meeting him this year, and I got to meet a drunk Jeff Jarrett and Karen Jarrett because of him too. <laughs> um, there was we were at the hotel at the WrestleCon. There was a lot of wrestlers and stuff. We got to meet Jeff Hardy, um, all these other people. It was it was a lot of fun. So it was good to see Paul. Um, but the thing when I read my predictions in my columns, people were like, "Don't write that. It makes too much sense. They're going to read what you said and they're going to change it." And I'm like, "Oh, great." <laughs> So people get mad at me for writing what my predictions are going to be, right? So it's nice to uh, it's nice to think, isn't it, that uh, they think you've got that sort of power, 
The well, child- I do know people that that work there, like in terms of wrestlers, people behind the scenes. I know people behind the scenes are like, "Don't work here. You, you won't be happy. You'll hate it." <laughs> so it's <laughs> funny how it's funny how that is. Um, but I don't know if I ever want to work there. But sometimes I think about it. But do I want to live in Donald Trump's America? I don't know about that. Well, I I always think that uh, you have to try these things, even if you did it for a couple of months and. Uh... And hated it and quit. What's the worst that can happen, really? You have to think you have to uh, to try all these things. But um, we'll, uh, well, don't do it for you know just now because we won't be able to talk to you then. You'll break your contract by uh, talking to the Hooked on podcast. So uh, at least hold off working for Vince until after yeah. so we can. Uh, it's not going to happen this year, probably. We, but we, yeah, <laughs> just hold off so we can chat to you again. Um, Paul, has um, it? Paul, has it? I want to come back on again for sure. So let me know anytime. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll work that out at some stage. Paul, thanks for your uh, your time as ever. Um, what's going on in, uh, in in the Benson world at the moment? Anything uh, anything exciting to report? Uh, just got back from five glorious days in the North Yorkshire countryside to end my Christmas break. So uh, the most glamorous thing I've been doing today is changing nappies. Oh, boy. Yep. Oh, yeah, it's the reality of my world. It's, it's, it's full of Kurt Angle trips to India. It's full of uh, meeting Ric Flair and drinking red wine. And it's also about being uh, knee-deep in baby poo um, and telling the same story about robots in disguise or Peppa Pig or uh, Paw Patrol over and over again. <laughs> and reading TJ Wrestling. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it was a, like, just to say, just to follow on from what John was saying, like, it was the first time we met at WrestleMania weekend. It was easily one of the highlights of the weekend for me to finally put a face to the name and get to shake the guy's hand. So we'll do it again soon. Maybe not WrestleMania next year, but definitely very soon. We will. It'll be, uh, it'll be great fun. And uh, I'd like to say that is um, Paul's first little step there into just planting a seed into your head that uh, Samuel Benson will be the new King Maxwell Hardy. And we're going to uh, push, push his son, is what we're going to do. Above everything else, we'll uh, make sure it's kept in the family. Um, thank you all for joining us today. We hope you've uh, had fun listening to the Hooked On podcast. Remember, there's lots of ways you can follow Hooked On Wrestling, Hooked On Events on Facebook, Twitter. We've told you all the places. Get your tickets for the Rumble parties because they will start to go. And we will see you uh, back here on the Hooked On podcast very, very soon. And remember, it's wrestling. Enjoy it. <laughs>